Well, good morning. It's our uh, first Sunday in May. We've gone through uh, the entire month of April and, of course, the second half of March without being able to gather together uh, the way that we normally do. Uh, we've been working through the book of Hebrews together. Uh, but this morning, uh, having finished uh, chapter 9 last week, uh, we decided it would, be, it would be a nice opportunity for uh, Jake to uh, bring the message for this morning. And so before he uh, brings the message uh, from the Word of God, I'm just going to read uh, Psalm 91. Psalm 91, uh, this is God's Word. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, and no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things that becomes painfully obvious as we work through the book of Hebrews, as Steve has been uh, slowly walking us through, picking up where we left off, um, one of the things we, can, we clearly see is how Jesus fulfills the role of high priest, how he is the great high priest. He is not a high priest like Levi after the order of Aaron. He's not uh, a high priest under the old covenant context, but he's a high priest after a new order, after Melchizedek, and he's a high priest in a new covenant. He's a greater high priest. He's bigger and better than the older system and the old way of doing things because he is a high priest in a new and better covenant. High priest is one of the roles that Jesus fulfills. And there's typically three that we talk about when it comes to the major roles that Jesus takes on, that Jesus is described as having in scripture. Those three being prophet, priest, and king. And so through Hebrews, we've seen how Jesus is high priest. We've seen that, how he's actually a lot more. He's also the temple, tabernacle, he's sacrifice, he's all of these other things. But what I wanna do is look at how Jesus is our prophet. He is not just a prophet, but he is our great prophet, the prophet that we should be looking for in the scriptures. And so one of the main questions we need to ask when we um, think of Jesus being a prophet is what does a prophet do? Before we can assess whether Jesus is the prophet, we need to know what prophets do. 
we need to know what a prophet is designed and called by God to do. And at a minimum, um, just bare surface level, this is what a prophet does. A prophet communicates the word of God to people. We sometimes think of uh, prophecy as looking forward, anticipating something that's going to be in the future, foretelling what's going to happen. And surely that's a part of the prophet's ministry in the Old Testament. We see time and time again, the prophets coming to the people and telling them, if you don't repent, if you don't turn back from your sin and turn to God, this will happen. And sure enough, that did happen because they did not repent. They did not turn back to God. But a prophet's entire role is not bound up in, quote unquote, telling the future, explaining what's going to happen. That's a big part and a big element of it. But at the bare minimum, what they're really doing is just communicating God's word. They are communicating what God has told them to tell the people. They reveal God's word. They reveal God through the spoken word. They reveal his will, his desires, his commands, what's wanted and needed uh, in the people. That's what a prophet does. And so does Jesus fulfill that role? Well, yes. He carries on that prophetic ministry that we see outlined in the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 1, which we looked at a number of weeks ago or months ago now, um, says that in the past, a long time ago, at many times and in various ways, God spoke to our ancestors, to our forefathers through the prophets. That's how God used to communicate. But now he's spoken through his son. So there's a shift, there's a change, but there's still that ministry that's being picked up. There's that ministry that's carrying on. Jesus is fulfilling that prophetic ministry of speaking God's word to his people. And people during Jesus' day saw that. They understood that in a different way. Now, some people thought he was just a prophet. The woman at the well, she said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You are telling me things that no regular human being could know or understand. You must clearly be a prophet. You have some insight that nobody else has that you have to be coming from God. You must be a prophet from God in order to speak these things. Other people refer to Jesus as the prophet of Galilee or prophet from Galilee is that in that he he taught, he spoke in a way, he was a teacher in the way that a prophet was a teacher, communicating what God was saying to the people. And the people in Jesus's day and age, they saw that and they recognized that. But in a special way and in a different way, John records some different things for us. In John 6 verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And then in John 7 verse 40, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. No longer talking about just a prophet in a generic sense, but the prophet. There's somebody specific, it's a title, somebody specific that they're looking for to come and speak and carry on a ministry in a special way. And they're saying, maybe this is Jesus, or surely this man must be the prophet. Surely Jesus must be the prophet who was talked about. And we get that from Deuteronomy chapter 18. This goes all the way back to Moses. Where is this idea coming from that there's going to be the prophet? Not just a prophet, but there's going to be a definitive prophet that shows up on the scene and does something in a special way. It finds its origination in Deuteronomy 18. Moses is speaking to the Israelites as they're entering the promised land. They've been brought out of Egypt. There's the great exodus, they cross the Red Sea, and they get to the, the quote-unquote gates of the promised land. They're right there. 
and they disobey. They don't do as God has commanded. They are at first afraid and don't want to go in. And even though Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can go in. And then they're afraid and they're terrified. And they say, no, we're not going in. And then they change their mind. And God has said, don't go in. You're not going to get in there. And all of this disobedience results in 40 years of wandering in the, in the desert. They wander for 40 years waiting for that generation, that disobedient generation, to die off in the wilderness. And so after these 40 years of wandering, they are once again at the gates of the promised land. They're just about to enter. And Moses is, is telling them, again, this is what God wants. This is God's commands. This is his desire for you as his people. And it was first communicated at Sinai, Moses being the quintessential prophet, the prophet, the first prophet of Israel, where he went onto the mountain, heard from God, and came down to the people and spoke to them and said, this is what God says. And so this is him communicating to the people again. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command them. So Moses is talking about this prophet that's going to come after him, somebody like him who's going to come after, and he is going to tell the people how they should live, how they should act. He will communicate God's word to them. He will be from the Israelites. And one important thing that we see is you must listen to him. He is somebody who must be listened to. The immediate context of Deuteronomy 18 is right before this, right before Moses says this in verses 9 through 13, he talks about the practices of the people in the land that they're moving into. All the nations who they are going to drive out and push out, this is how these people live. This is how they act. This is how they worship. They live in a way where they practice sorcery, divination, witchcraft. They do all these different things to try to tap into the divine, to try to tap into the otherworldly, into the spiritual realm. They have all these different kind of practices, which God says, this is not for you. This is not how you are going to find the divine. This is not how you're going to hear from the spiritual realm. This is not how you're going to hear from me. You are not going to hear from me by doing sorcery. You're going to hear from me because I will raise up one individual, my prophet, and he will speak for me to you. That will be his job. That will be his role. And you are to listen to him. You must listen to him. Don't be like the other nations. Listen to the one that God sends. This man, this prophet, will stand in between God. This is what they were afraid of at Mount Horeb. They were afraid to come near the mountain. They were told not to come near the mountain, but they were too afraid to come close, to hear from God himself, lest they die. And God said, I will send a prophet, like Moses, to stand between me and man, 
to speak my word to them. And so this prophet has been anticipated for generations. Who is this one? Peter and Stephen in the book of Acts, they assert that this prophet is Jesus. People in John, they, they saw that surely this man is doing things that only the prophet, the prophet of God could be doing. He's the one that the prophets must be speaking about. He must be this one. They see that. They recognize that in some sense. Peter and Stephen, they assert this. They say, yes, this is true. And yet, in a special way, he's different than all the other prophets. Because Israel had many prophets up until this point. Israel had people who, who would pop up in history, like Elijah. These kind of men would, would come into history. They'd speak for the Lord to the people, against the people, against what they were doing in sin. And they would say, here's what God says. So what sets Jesus apart from all these other prophets? Well, in one way, is because Jesus is actually the subject of all their prophetic ministry. Moses points forward to the prophet, and all the other prophets are pointing forward to Jesus. We read in Luke chapter 24, where after Jesus is risen, he's on the road to Emmaus, and he begins to talk with these two disciples. And he says, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He explains that Moses told you about me. The prophets told you about who I am and to look forward to me. See, Jesus, he communicates God's word but he's also the one about which God's word is about. It's all pointing forward to him. So Jesus is like all the Old Testament prophets in the sense of that he communicates God's word. But he's different and unique because he's actually the focal point. He's the subject of what all the Old Testament prophets are talking about. So all these Old Testament prophets, from Moses to John, there's something different about Jesus Israel was still looking for that one prophet. Think of those references in, back in, in John, where they're saying, surely this man must be the prophet. They haven't found the prophet yet. They don't know who he is. Is this Jesus? But Jesus, he's also unlike every other prophet because he speaks as revelation itself. He is the source of revelation itself. He is the one through whom, he's not just the mouthpiece of God, he is God speaking. And so where every other prophet in the Old Testament needed to say, thus saith the Lord, this is what God says, this is what God communicates, Jesus says, I tell you this, I say unto you. Six times in the Beatitudes, not the Beatitudes, sorry, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus says, but I tell you. He's not, he's not quoting some rabbi. He's not quoting a prophet. He's not quoting somebody else. He's not saying, this is what God has told me to communicate to you like every other prophet. Him being revelation itself, being the source of revelation, being God incarnate. Jesus can say, I tell you this and speak for God. 
He is the embodied word. He is the incarnate word. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Who is that word? That is Jesus himself. If we hop to the uh, middle of John chapter 1, we read an interaction with, with John the Baptist, an interaction that some people had with him. Because some people thought John might be the Messiah. Maybe he's the prophet. And so we read in John chapter 1, verse 19, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Finally, they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John's interaction with the Pharisees, John's in interaction with these Jewish leaders, is built around their question, are you the one we're anticipating? Are you the one that we're looking forward to? Are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one? John says, no, that, that's not me. John's not disillusioned about who he is and what his ministry is. Are you Elijah? A little bit of an odd question, maybe, but when we see what Elijah's ministry was like, his entire ministry, he did some pretty uh, miraculous things by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, but his ministry is marked by the call to repentance. He calls people to repent. And this is exactly what John's doing. He's calling them to repent. Are you Elijah? No. Why are you the prophet? Are you this individual who's going to come and speak in a way that we've never heard before? In a, from an individual that, that we've been anticipating for generations? Are you the prophet? No. Well, then who are you? John says very clearly, I'm the one who's just talking about paving the way. I'm the one that's clearing the path for that individual who is going to come. John's not the prophet, but we can see that they're anticipating the prophet. And John, being a prophet of God, speaking for God and from God, he speaks in a way, in a special way, that no other prophet could. All of them anticipated and pointed forward to the prophet, the one who was going to come and through whom we were going to hear God. John gets that special privilege of being able to point and saying, there he is. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. This is the prophet. This is the one who, when he speaks, you need to sit down and listen. The history of Israel shows that they were not compliant with listening to the, the prophets. They didn't like to listen to what they had to say. They were content in their sin. They, they reveled in their sin. They actually quite enjoyed uh, the things that they were doing on their own and didn't want to listen to God or to his prophets. They persecuted and beat and imprisoned and tried to push down the voice of the Lord 
as much as they could. They wanted to push away God's word. They wanted to push away God's speech, and they didn't want to hear from God. They didn't want to hear what he was saying to them as he was speaking into their lives what he wanted from them. John says, that's not me. I'm not the prophet. But I will tell you who he is. There he is. There is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And when that Lamb, when Jesus speaks, he doesn't just speak from God. He speaks as God. Because he is. He is the incarnate word. He is the incarnate, revealed word of God. Listen to him. When Jesus speaks, he perfectly reveals the Father to us. He perfectly reveals God. And so in some sense, we, even if you wanted to say the prophets, for all their failures, for all their faults, we, we might want to point the finger at them and go, well, it's not our fault we didn't understand. They didn't communicate that well. They didn't communicate this clearly who we should be looking for and who he was supposed to be and how he was supposed to look and act and talk. It's not our fault we didn't recognize Jesus for who he is because the prophets didn't build that up. Okay? Even if you granted that, even if you said, yes, the prophets were flawed men, beginning with Moses, he didn't make it into the promised land. Why? Because he was flawed, because he sinned. And so God took away the privilege of the promised land from him. So even though they were flawed, even though they perhaps may not have communicated exactly who the prophet was going to be, Jesus shows up on the scene as the prophet, and he communicates perfectly, revealing perfectly who God is. Not just in a word sense of describing who God is, but when we see Jesus, we see God. He perfectly reveals the words of God, and he perfectly reveals God himself. And Jesus does that very well. He's not bad at his job of communicating who God is. And even now, thinking, well, Jesus, he was on this earth, he walked, he did miracles, he taught, he preached, he healed, he did all of these things. But he's not here now. So how can I hear from the prophet? How can I hear from Jesus himself? Well, his ministry's not over. He communicates now differently, but we have the word of God. We have the Bible. We have the scriptures where in the word, God communicates to us. Jesus communicates to us. In the Bible, we see how Moses and the prophets were pointing forward to Jesus. In the Bible, we see how John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, here's the fulfillment of this promise. This promised one who is going to come and reveal God to us. We can think of all the other prophets that did things in the Old Testament. Samuel, Nathan, how they were raised up to do certain jobs. None of them, none of them are like Jesus. None of them do what he does. All of them speaking for God, but Jesus speaks as God. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, as we have the word of God in front of us, as we can listen to God communicating to us right now, are we listening? My cousin, had a shirt growing up that seemed to uh, just embody who he was as a kid. And it was written on the front, I can hear you, I'm just not listening. And I wonder how many of us, as we come to the Word of God, 
that's really where we're at. Yes, God, I hear you. I can read the words of the scriptures. I can read what it says. I can hear you. I'm just not listening. How tragic is it to go to the scriptures, to hear from God himself, and to not listen and pay attention? And so we are in a situation now where, for many of us, we have a, an, a massive opportunity to hear from God. We, we talk all the time about how we're too busy to sit down and read, how we're too busy to sit down and pray, too busy to sit down and think and meditate and work through the scriptures. I just don't have time. My kids have activities. I've got activities. I've got this ministry to get to. I've got to focus on this. I worked late. We've got a thousand excuses, some of them legitimate, some of them just silly. But with all of that stripped away, with our current situation, with all of that gone, with distractions being removed, whether willingly or unwillingly, most of us, many of us, are left with nothing but our families and our Bibles. Are we listening? Are we listening to the prophet Jesus as he speaks to us? This is a time where if we would rather turn on Netflix instead of listening to God, if we'd rather hear from culture rather than the prophet, if we'd rather hear from other people instead of God himself, we have no excuse. We have no excuse for not hearing and listening to the prophet Jesus Christ as he perfectly reveals the Father and his will to us through his person, through his being, through his work, and through his word. Are we listening? We have a great opportunity to listen to God. Will you do that? Will you listen to him as he speaks? For many of us, this kind of scenario, this kind of situation has been a wake-up call. Do I take seriously what God says? I say that I trust God, but do I actually trust him? I say that I care about his word, but do I actually? When church has been uh, postponed, when Bible studies can't meet, do I still value the word of God? The incarnate word and the written word, do I care? We need help. We need God's grace and God's spirit to give us that great desire to love and cherish the word, the revealed word of God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we would ask that you would give us a greater desire to love and care for and treasure your word. Both the written word, the Bible that we hold in our hands, that we have on our phones, that we have multiple translations and multiple copies of, we pray that you would help us to care more deeply and treasure your word. And through that, that we might treasure and love and cherish the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, that we might treasure him more and love him more, and that we might seek to grow closer to him now that you've removed every distraction that we could possibly have, help us to focus on him. Help us to hear from him, to hear from you through him, through the Son, 
through the prophet, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, may God bless you as you seek to care more and to dive deeper into the word of God.